the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. And I'm on. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Welcome to the show. We're streaming live on Facebook. YouTube, I think, and uh, my channel, DrBillRadioMD.com, and a few other things. Uh, I don't really know how or when or if it's getting out, but it says it is. On, I, I'm using Restream, if you don't know that. Uh, it's a program that will multicast your streaming from your one computer to multiple different websites, uh, uh, social media sites. So that, that's a good thing. That's made it easier. And Ken's with me this morning. Are you alive, Ken? I am, sir. How are you today, Doc? I'm good, bud. I'm good. We're getting ready for our uh, our board meeting, our first board meeting for our homeowners association. And there's uh, some rebellion going on in the background, but uh, we're ignoring that. It's uh, it's fascinating to see. There's politics everywhere, isn't there? I mean, the fights that break out over, over stuff is just incredible. But We've got a good crew, and I think we're going to do a good job. So we're going to have a dry run today at 1 o'clock. We're going to have a Zoom dry run, and then uh, I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday we have the actual meeting. So we're looking forward to that. That should be interesting. Well, did you see that the federal judge in Houston yesterday uh, upheld uh, the um, Methodist Hospital's decision to suspend 170 of their employees who had refused to get vaccinated by June 21st, uh, or they would be fired if they weren't vaccinated by June 21st, and the employees sued, and uh, they took it to federal court, and the federal judge said, no, the hospital's right. If they want you to be vaccinated, you got to be vaccinated. And the company had actually fired Bob Nevins, who was a a management-level person who had not met the, the corporate deadline for managers to get vaccinated for the covid uh, so th- this is a good thing. I think that uh, I think that healthcare workers and hospital uh, personnel have to be responsible and have to be willing to do what's necessary to protect not only themselves and each other, but also the patients and the and the population at large. And we set the example, Ken. You know, we're we're basically the the, the teachers of society when it comes to healthcare. That's our job, and that's part of the job. And I've argued this for decades, and I've had patients argue with me and say, you're not here to teach me. You know, you're just here to fill my prescriptions and and tell me whether my cholesterol is high or low. No, I'm not just there. To, you know, I'm not, I'm not your local drug dealer, dude. <laughs> I'm not your... You know. And sometimes you feel like that, you know. They come in, they just say, I just want this filled. And they say, well, you, we got to do a little bit more. Uh, and they said, well, you're just trying to make a buck. Well, I'm trying to do that too, but I'm trying to also do a good job. I mean, you, you make money by delivering a good service or a good product. So you get right? accused of, you get accused of being uh, upselling medical procedures or something like that. Is that what people are upset about? 
I, you know, I think that uh, there was this big movement in the 80s and 90s saying that doctors were, were uh, over prescribing and overdoing and doing unnecessary procedures. And there was some of that. There's no doubt about it. And there was a lot of uh, advantage taken of the Medicare and uh, health care insurers. Uh, but and, and that's probably what the HMOs were supposed to correct. Of course, they're just as bad in, right. in their because they say, uh, we're going to pay you, doctor, not to treat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, well, you know, I mean, what do you think people are going to do? They're going to say, well, damn, if I send this 85-year-old guy for a colonoscopy, because I'm pretty sure he's got a, a bowel cancer, and then he goes and has surgery, it's going to be $5,000 out of my profits at the end of the year. Mm. Well, he's 85 years old. Just let the old goat go, you know. Jeez, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I know when I go to a doctor, and you are my doctor. When I go, when I talk to a doctor, I expect his best advice. Absolutely, you, know? you don't there just just to uh, uh, put in an order. Yeah, right. Hey, I'm not ordering a hamburger here. I mean, if he, if he wants to, uh, yeah, he, if if he wants to tell me if you don't stop doing this, you're going to die in six months. Yeah, it's my choice and at that point whether I do it. I mean, even if I were doing hamburgers, I'd, I'd give you a little sermonette about what's in it and the nutritional value and whether or not you need it. I'm still yeah. not going to have the chicken. I'm going to take. I'm going to take the burger if you got one. Well, you you can have all the burgers you want because I'm a vegetarian, and so. Oh, all right. But Biden's going to get rid of cows, so you better hurry up and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> not the cows. Anything but the cows. Don't take the cows Don't take away. my steak away. They're so cute. I just <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been on a dairy farm? I have been up close and personal with cows, yes. I've been to milking contests. I've been in radio. I've done all these things at county fairs. They're, I mean, the, the, the cows are so cute, and they'll follow you around like puppy dogs. They will. They're very friendly. They're very friendly, yeah. and they're very sociable. And they're and... fun to tip over. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you in the rural community, know exactly what I'm talking about. I know. That's so utterly ridiculous. <laughs> All right. So we got Father's Day coming up next week. Are you going to get anything? Or I, I already have. I've already gotten my gift. What'd you get? A new a new barbecue. Oh, you lucky dog. Yeah, you. That's right. So they, it's all been taken care of already. So now this came out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, Sonora Dodd of Spokane, Washington in 1909 started this. And her father was a Civil War uh, veteran, and he was a single parent. I guess his wife had died, and he raised uh, six kids. And so she wanted to show gratitude, and so she spoke with her minister at her church, and uh, they decided that they would cook this up. And she was going to have it be on the day of her father's birthday, which I think was June the 5th, but the minister said, well, we can't get ready in time for that, so let's make it the third Sunday. And that's how it sort of got into that that mold and it kind of died down for a few decades and then uh, she revived it in the 1930s uh, along with help from uh, from of course industry you know people that had uh, goods they wanted to sell for Father's Day pipes and uh, clothes ties and that sort of thing and and then she got the clothing industry involved and and it became a, a commercial holiday but it's also a day to honor fathers uh, and family heads and all that. <clears throat> now, I guess there's a, probably an anti-Father's Day movement going on somewhere <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> Do we really need fathers? <laughs> 
Well, we probably don't. You can probably go and, and, uh, and you know, the sperm bank and get artificially inseminated. But you know what? It's going to cost you thousands of dollars. You're not going to have any fun. And uh, then you're stuck being a single parent. Uh, so you, you might as well just bite the bullet and, and grab a man and, and hang on to him and work with him. And when you get sick of him, just pretend like he's a roommate and uh, <laughs> treat him like he's a gigolo when, when you want sex. And, you know, but otherwise, stick with him. You've I mean, got you an know. in-house repairman. Just make sure he knows yeah. how to fix everything. That's my wife just said, honey, I can't do this. Can you do this for me? And so when the, when the when the husband comes in the room, the wife should immediately become helpless <laughs> because we respond to that. You know, it's like the bird with the broken wing. Everybody wants to go out and help it. Well, me, Tarzan, me help Jane. So, you know, yeah. and it, it appeals to our instincts. It's yeah, it's in our genetics. We can't help it. Uh, you got to fight it, though, because otherwise they'll have a, you know, a, a collar and a dog chain on you. <laughs> me, Tarzan, <laughs> me not listen. <laughs> no longer. Me have marital autism. That's <laughs> me, right. <laughs> so it's become a commercial success, and it was also in juxtaposition to Mother's Day. Which, and is, I first, think which that, is first, I've noticed. Well, yeah. Of course. I mean, I mean, who do you think came first, Adam or Eve? Well, of course Eve came first. We just made up that stuff about Adam being first. Somebody well, had to have a baby. Well, I you, guess so. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Do you think that Adam really gave birth to Eve from one of his ribs? I mean, I'm just glad we don't have to do that now. I, well, she's trying. She's trying to take a chunk of rib out. Of <laughs> so, and then Lyndon Johnson in 1966 was the first president to uh, issue a presidential proclamation, and I did not know this, but Richard Nixon signed it into law. It's a national holiday. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I did not know that. And uh, there's also an International Men's Day on November 19th if you want to, you know, get a double hit. You want to get more presents and bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making dinner tonight, honey. It's International Men's Day. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, you can clear out the, the air conditioner drip line yourself, babe. I'm, <laughs> this is Father's Day. I'm not doing it. Exactly. Put my bar. Somebody put my new barbecue together for me, would you please? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good luck with that, dude. I know. I know. Two hours what do you job. Hey, did you hear that uh, That uh, the uh, Air Force uh, wants to kill the, the, the A-10 Warthog? You know, the— our, our... No, not the Warthog. No, I'm telling you, man. They, they want to get rid of it, and Congress is saying no. I guess there's a congresswoman from, uh, uh, from Arizona who is an ex-Warthog pilot. And she's like, no, you can't get rid of the warthog. For those of you who don't know what the warthog is, it's a, it's a close uh, a support, slow-flying jet. It's, uh, it's got triple uh, titanium skin, so it can take a lot of fire. Yeah, it's like a tank in the air. It's a tank in the air, and it's got a, it's got a 30 caliber uh, Gatling gun on the nose that can spew out, you know, like hundreds of rounds a minute. It's got something like 12 or 15 barrels on it, and uh, it's a point-and-shoot. So you just point the nose of the plane at what you want to shoot at, and you shoot. And uh, it's been attributed uh, with killing more tanks than any other weapon in history. So it is a go-to tank killer. 
You can't. Um, I don't think, it's very difficult to bring these things down. It has very high-mounted engines on the back, protected by armor. I mean, it's very, very difficult to shoot this down. There's a story of one of these planes landing in a field, uh, buried its, its landing gear in mud, and uh, everybody thought, oh, my God, it's wrecked. And uh, they pulled the thing out of the mud, and it took off. <laughs> <laughs> See? You can't kill this thing. This is a great airplane. They're like, so I don't know how the Air Force is going to kill them if, if, if the enemy can't kill them. Yes, right. Why would they want to? You got something that's working. Leave it alone. Well, it's probably they want to uh, they want to consider something like the F thirty five and modify that to be uh, for close air support. Well, yeah, close air support plane because it's it's uh, got stealth and but I don't know yeah. if it can fly that slow. I guess it can. I guess it's got the directional uh, uh, jet nozzle on the back, the exhaust. I think it's directional, so it can probably slow down and do some hovering uh, they could probably put a canard wing on the front you know give it a little more lift well that would <laughs> affect its stealth as well so you gotta they got a balance there that they have to watch but um i i you're always going to need close air support if you're going to have troops you're going to need close air support i would not get rid of it if it up to me but i don't run the world so i, I think it's a good thing i mean i i I've always loved that plane ever since it came out in the late 70s. Uh, I think Fairchild developed that uh, for the Air Force, uh, for close support, or for the Army. I forget which one went after it first. But uh, So it's been around for, what, uh, 30, 40 years now? Probably, yeah. And we've gotten some work out of that baby. I mean, you know, all the Gulf Wars, it was very active. I'm sure it was active in, in, the, uh, in the Serbian conflict, Kosovo conflict. Certainly Afghanistan. Afghanistan, and um, so yeah. Well, I hate to see it go. It's a great aircraft. Great aircraft. Yeah. Did I hear a phone ring? I maybe. Yes, somebody's calling us, Doc. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, answer it. I will. Just hang on here, buddy. Okay, I'll, I'll keep going while he gets that on the phone. There. <laughs> there we go. Hang on. I'll be right back. <laughs> right. So we've got uh, the Warthog, which is the A10 uh, close support plane that is on the chopping block as far as the Air Force is concerned. They, they want to probably move up to something bitter, bigger and better. But, I mean, it's still a good plane. We'd keep it around for another 20, 10, 20 years anyway. And uh, that, that, to me, is, is an important piece of our armament, especially if we're in combat with troops, like Ken said. So we want to make sure that we keep that and, you, you know, in, on top of that, Biden is talking about cutting back the number of ships that we build annually. Uh, he's increased or his budget has increased the amount for the Navy by 1.6 percent, which sounds like a great thing, but that doesn't even keep up with inflation. And he wants to cut down on the number of ships we crank out a year by a few and uh, as any piece of equipment has a limited lifespan, and let's say a ship has a 40-year lifespan, you're going to have to retire ships uh, on a periodic basis, and you're going to have to replace them. Now, the Chinese already have more ships than we do, uh, at least on paper they do. I, I don't know if we've got some stuff hidden away somewhere. I don't know where we would hide it, but I think it's important that we consider the possibility that the Chinese Navy may take over <clears throat> and that so far they have pretty much stayed in their neighborhood there in the South China Sea. Yeah, but they're developing a blue water Navy. I mean, they're, they're looking at the oceans. And, yeah. And I, I think that, that we have to 
be honest and say, look, uh, whether you like the United States or not, there's really there's really nobody who has the power and the uh, the emotional reserve to to be the policeman of the world or the the uh, uh, the defensive line against uh, anti-democratic countries that would take us over if they could. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, Ken, but even if you hate us, if you're an American and you hate America and you think that we're evil because we had slavery or because we were in world wars or whatever, uh, you've got to get out and see the world and realize that this is still better than anything out there. That's right. Exactly. There's no better place to be. Hey, you know what? Well, I want to go back to the uh, Warthog for just a second because we have Captain Matt joining us. Oh, Captain. That's right. The cap- my captain's on the phone uh, talking about the Warthog. What, Captain, we, are we misinforming people? Well, a little bit. Because first of all, what we went from was the P-51 Mustang, which is one of the most highly effective close-in support aircraft ever, uh, to the Warthog. And the Warthog is the supreme uh, plane. Everybody in combat, all the frontline units love it because it can basically stop on a dime, drop its ammunition, and beat out of, beat out of town. Uh, it's that good. And we've uh, had the Warthog and the, and the capability of that for many, many years. But Martha McSally was the congresswoman in Arizona, was the congresswoman. Remember, she ran for Senate and got beat by, uh, what's his face there, the one, the astronaut's wife, uh, whatever, I can't remember his name now. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. Her husband, or the, the yeah, let's see, the wife, yeah, the husband of the, ast- of the congressman, uh, Giffords. Giffords, that's anyway. right, yeah. Yeah, Mark something knows his name. But but the thing about the Warthog is they've been talking about this for, <clears throat> God, a decade anyway, and they can't get rid of it because it's so good. They can't get rid of it. They might try, they might try, they might try. But every time they do, the military combat frontline units go, hey, man, you're taking away our lifeline. Can't do it. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, and, Captain, you should know. You I mean, you were in, in in the military combat and all that, you're, so you're, you're a frontline guy. I mean, I would think that you would want to keep something that, that works that well. Uh, maybe they could tweak it, and I'm sure that they've uh, made some upgrades over the years, electronics and all that. Oh, they have. Yep, they have. And uh, some of the things that it can do right now, you, you it could actually tap dance around some of the enemy. But could the F-35 take its place? No. No. Hell no. No. Uh-uh. No. First of all, you can't slow a plane down that, that much and then step on it and get the hell out of the That's way. That's true. It doesn't, it doesn't have the swept wings, does it? No, uh-uh, nope, 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 nope. Yeah, we'll keep it. I think the uh, the, the Warthog has some other uh, some other lift to it that uh, allows it to go very slow, like it can go down to two fifty three hundred miles an hour, and still and still be navigable. That's correct. And then they yank down the stick, and up they go again, and they're gone. You can't hit them. Well, it makes sense if you're going to pulverize a building, you got to stay around with a couple of seconds. You just can't fly by at and 300 right miles an hour. Tank, you're right about the tank in the air, absolutely positively. Yeah, it's a it's a, a heck of a weapon, and there's no reason at this point, in my opinion. But I'm not an expert. No. I mean, and you know. and and you're also right about China because the big problem we got right now is not Russia. Russia's there. We know what they got. It's China. Oh yeah. That's, and, that's they, and they are in our hemisphere already. China is already in our hemisphere in Central and South America. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, we've, we have to stop and think about their philosophy, their morals, their values. And, you know, being communist doesn't really change the way they've been for 
2,500 years. They've considered the South China Sea theirs since the country was first united 2,500 years ago, 2,300 years ago. And they will continue to think that. And they will continue to think that they should have hegemony over the rest of the world because they're the chosen people and they're the most populous country. Well, you are the chosen people on Sunday morning. Go back, have a great time, and I'll continue to listen. Thank you. Thanks, Captain. We Thanks, appreciate Captain. Weighing in, buddy. Isn't that sweet of him? He's a good guy. He is. Captain Matt, every morning here at 2 a.m. So take People a listen. Things about him, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, of my favorite, one of my favorite people around here. Absolutely. And I, I still remember him uh, with his leg propped up. I forget what he had wrong with it in the studio. <laughs> it still gives him trouble, so. Yeah, it still gives him yeah. some trouble. Oh, my. I, anyway. I, think he, I think he said that was a 9-11 injury originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so at any rate, we're going to keep the warthog. Is that the consensus? The, it it the, is with me. And the, the the committee of three has met, and we're <laughs> going to send this directly up to the president and to the to the Air Force. Somebody wake him up. Let him know. Yeah. Secretary of the Air Force, are you listening? Because Dr. Bill says you're keeping the warthog. Just too cool. You just can't get rid of it. Just too good. Can you buy one of those? Can you get a used one? Or I don't. Deco- I doubt it very much. <laughs> I'd kind of like to have one, you know, just fly around St. Pete and Tampa just- and <laughs> bus motors and just buzz the Howard Franklin Bridge a couple times, right? Yeah, you know, blow the bikinis off the girls. And- well, you might be able to get one, but it probably minus the thirty caliber. Oh darn! Well, I know they take all the fun of it out of it, yeah, then, don't they? Yeah. Can't be too picky. <laughs> So that that's that's the whole thing. There is the warthog. We got to keep that. Now we also have to make sure that the administration doesn't uh, cut down on the amount of money we have for rebuilding our our navy. I mean our ships. <clears throat> we we certainly do not need to fall behind the Chinese in this area because, at least for now, because we don't have enough space-based weapons. The, the at least I don't think we do. Maybe we do, and that's why the military is saying, ah, we don't need as many ships. But I would think that just as a, uh, a deterrent, uh, a physical reminder to the Chinese that they're not going to take over the world, and like Captain Matt says, they're already in Central and South America. <clears throat> of course, we'll see how long those relationships last, Ken. Well, they always bribe their way in. You know, we'll build you a highway. We'll build you a port. We'll build you this. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> they don't know the Hispanics. They'll take it, and then when they're done with it, say, oh, get out. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's like Puerto Rico. I was down there one time, and I was talking to a guy from the States who moved down there, and I said, how do you like it? And he says, it's great, no income tax. I said, are you happy you left the, the mainland? He said, just keep sending money <laughs> <laughs> and go back home when you're done. <laughs> All right. So, so that's true. I mean, you know, you have to consider that that uh, the relationships may only be superficial because people just want to take what they can get, human nature being what it is. And then when they've got it, say, well, now I don't think our friendship's all that close. Yeah, push come to shove. <laughs> uh, and and th- it's it's like, look at, look at the Philippines and look at Palau. Now they're turning back to the United States. I know. It's kind of funny to watch. <laughs> China's giving them a hard time because they don't want to uh, uh, break off relationships with Taiwan. 
And so they're saying, well, look, you can't, I mean, if you want to be our friend, you can't dictate to us how the friendship's going to go. You, we have other friends other than you. It's like your wife saying, I want a monogamous relationship. Honey, that's not going to, wait, wait a minute. Back up. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's a bad, <laughs> bad analogy. <laughs> yeah, uh, might be a good time for a break there, Doc. Might be a good time for a break. <laughs> All right, I'm Dr. Bill. We'll be back. When we come back, we're going to talk about critical race theory. And if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about cervical disc disease and neck pain. SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. Japanese airline All Nippon Airways has begun vaccinating its pilots and cabin attendants on international flights. That makes it one of the first companies to launch workplace vaccinations in Japan, one of the world's least vaccinated nations. On Sunday, 50 ANA pilots and flight attendants dressed in their uniforms got their first shot of the Moderna vaccine at a company inoculation site at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. Kip Kinkle, who killed his parents before going on a shooting rampage at his Oregon high school back in 1998, killing two classmates and injuring 25 more, is given his first news interview. He tells the Huffington Post he feels, quote, tremendous, tremendous shame and guilt. And at least 12 people have been killed, 39 seriously injured in a gas line explosion in central China. This is SRN News. I am Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket cost a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi, 727-577-2220, 727-577-2220. This is Dennis Prager along with my fellow host Mike Gallagher. 
We both want to invite you to join us for a trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land this October 27th to November 5th. I've been all over the world, but I can never get enough of the great state of Israel with all its historical and religious significance. Call 855-565-5519. That's 855-565-5519. Or book online at standwithisraeltour.com. If you owe back taxes, there's a lot you need to know, starting with rule number one. Don't mess with the IRS. They are cracking down this year by sending out heart-stopping letters, actively garnishing paychecks, levying bank accounts, and putting liens on homes and businesses. That's all true, but it's also true there's a way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an important government program for tax debt assistance. It's one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered, so now's the time. You could qualify for tax relief that saves you thousands, even tens of thousands. Nobody knows this program like the award-winning experts at Optima Tax Relief. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and will fight to get you the best deal possible. Don't mess with the IRS. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. 800-965-1433. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. AM 860, The Answer. Online at TheAnswerTampa.com. Odyssey. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mostly cloudy skies for today with widely separated thunderstorms and a high of 88. Mainly cloudy and warm tonight with a thunderstorm and a low 79. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with a couple of thunderstorms and a high of 86. Plan with confidence this spring. Download the redesigned AccuWeather app today. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, and we've got Ken with me. Captain Matt weighed in this morning. Captain Matt's still doing his nighttime show. Oh, you bet. 2 a.m., man. 2 a.m. to 6 every morning right here on these radio stations. How does he stay up all night? I, I, the man never sleeps. The man doesn't. <laughs> he can't naps, I'm sure. <laughs> he must, yes. But he's one of the busiest guys I know. He is, and he, he goes out and does uh, gun shows. Every yeah. weekend he's doing a gun show, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. He does yeah, a lot for his community and for the community at large. All right, so we're back, and uh, we've covered a few topics. I wanted to touch on this critical race uh, theory. Please do, because I don't really get it. Well, it's it's it grew out of the 1970s, uh, which was a, a somewhat of a rehashing of what Dubois, the uh, the big civil rights leader of the first half of the 20th century, uh, was maintaining, and it was saying that uh, we can't just have laws that make us equal; we have to be equal within ourselves, and. Um, and uh, there has to be a redistribution of the wealth, and there has to be a rewriting of the Constitution, and a number of other things. So, critical race theory, loosely, it's uh, it's got two themes to it. One is that white supremacy, uh, and this is right out of uh, right out of Wikipedia, with its social, societal, or structural racism, exists and maintains power through the law. So, one of the main points of it, and a lot of this is a lot of this theory of critical race theory was started by uh, lawyers, black lawyers. And so they say that the laws and even the philosophy of the Age of Enlightenment with Locke and Hume and Montesquieu and all these guys, that it's a white man's uh, 
racist system to keep white people in a, a, a position of superiority and supremacy. And that the liberal movement, the white liberal movement was also uh, similar to that, that. And we'll get into that a little bit. And secondly, that transforming the relationship, and I'm quoting now from Wikipedia, between law and racial power and also achieving racial emancipation and anti-subordination more broadly is possible. Um, you know, a lot of this, I, I think, is, is going to go away with time. Uh, the, the Pew Institute, which does research and polling back when, you remember Mayor Bradley of uh, Los Angeles back in the 70s? Sure. He ran for governor of California, and uh, so they were doing some some polling and research for one candidate or another, and the Pew uh, Institute detected a bias that, that that people would not say why they weren't going to vote for Bradley, and so they started asking, putting in some, some questions that would uh, elucidate, elucidate elicit whether or not they were dealing with people who had a racial bias. Well, they continued using this in their uh, polling up until the early 2000s, and when they said there was not a statistically significant amount of people that dis displayed this, this uh, racial bias anymore, and that by the time Obama ran, they didn't even bother asking the questions because they thought that it wasn't statistically significant. That is, there weren't enough people who were racially biased and their approach to elections and who would be, uh, you know, the governor or the mayor or the president. And so they thought it was no longer a value. But the critics of, of uh, critical race theory argue that uh, social constructionism, and that's where uh, you and I get together in our group and we decide what the reality is based upon our personal experiences uh, and the elevation of storytelling over more factual things. And, and you can understand how storytelling would become part of the, uh, the uh, uh, some of the black uh, movement uh, towards emancipation or whatever, because if you had a largely uh, illiterate population in the United States for, what, two or 300 years, and they wanted to carry on tradition and have a history, it was oral, and it was through storytelling, Ken. Absolutely. And, and so uh, they want to use storytelling and their own personal experience over the evidence and reason. So they don't care what the Pew Institute says. They don't care if the statistics are there that show that there's not that racial bias in politics like there was 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. And so this is uh, part of their, uh, their, their bag is the social constructionism. That is, they're going to construct the history and the philosophy and uh, the socioeconomics and politics based upon their collective experiences. And they're going to use storytelling because, of course, their experiences are That's subjective. what they have, exactly, yes. They're subjective. Um, and there may be objectivity to it, but once you put the human filter on it, it becomes subjective. You know, it's like uh, people coming into court to identify uh, uh, the person on trial it's been notoriously inaccurate. And so we don't really do that much anymore. You know, we don't rely on it as much. Uh, we, we want DNA evidence. We want, uh, um, we want forensic evidence. We want hard, hard data that, that's not, that, that's not uh, able to be manipulated and, and it's irrefutable. So 
they also reject the concepts of truth and merit, uh, according to their critics, and oppose liberalism because they say that liberalism is the white uh, uh, feet, the, the white intellectuals who have implemented all of these uh, social changes like uh, uh, the Civil Rights Act and uh, the, the uh, busing and integration of schools in order to look good and feel good. So they want to look good in the eyes of the world and they want to feel good within themselves. Now, some of that I'll go along with because you know what? I've been saying that for a couple of decades that a lot of this white liberalism is just uh, uh, an effort to make yourself feel better. Right. You give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. And to, and to make you not feel guilty about having privilege and power and money uh, when other people don't. Right. So... I think that the critiques of this uh, question the foundational liberal concepts such as the Enlightenment and rationalism, legal equality and constitutional neutrality. And in the Constitution, you can say, well, the Constitution didn't apply to slaves when it was written. That doesn't mean that the universality of it wasn't uh, wasn't there in, in the abstract. And it, you know, it takes time to implement changes like this. I mean, it's, it, these things don't happen overnight. You know, they take centuries. Yes, exactly. And so and it, the step-by-step approach to, to traditional civil rights discourse, uh, the people that are pushing this, this, uh, this critical race theory, they're saying, well, that's not adequate because you're still going to be in control of the, of the dialogue uh, the only way that we can really be free is to have our own dialogue and to have our own safe place and our own safe space and that the differences are more than racial, they're, uh, they're uh, ethnic as well as uh, uh, cultural and that because of that, you're not going to change things until we decide that we're changing things, that we're in control of the story. You're not in control. In other words, storytelling, counter storytelling, naming one's own reality. These are catchphrases. Uh, and that you as a white person cannot know what it is to be a black person. And I hear this argument, you know. Well, I, we've I, been hearing it a long time, too. Yeah. And, and, you know, my friend Reg, he says he's black, but I think his mother was white and his father was black and Indian or whatever, you know. So he's got Asian, uh, European, and African blood. But he says he's black. And he said every day you wake up and you, you in the United States and you see yourself as a black person, a black man. And and uh, it's hard to to uh, escape that. And, and I understand that to a certain degree because, you know, the cops are driving down the street and, uh, and they're, they're going to look at a black kid walking along the street late at night before they're going to look at, at some old white geezer like me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I would think so. I would hope so. And I don't so, see you as a threat anywhere, Doc. <laughs> well, now I'm really hurt. At <laughs> <laughs> any rate, so look, uh, you don't see – they'll say that you didn't see uh, store cops – store mall cops and uh, employees in stores following white people around uh, because they thought they were going to shoplift, you know, but they would follow black people around. I don't know, uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago that was true, but I, I don't see that nowadays. 
but I may be wrong. Yeah, I, neither do I. I don't, but I don't shop that much. I let my wife take care of all that. So. Yeah, you know, so that way you don't get stopped for shoplifting. <laughs> <laughs> one time, Doc, you know, one time. Well, it was only a piece of bubble gum. That's a- right. It was a baseball card. <laughs> <laughs> I got busted by Mr. Tookman. He was the pharmacist that owned the drugstore, the Tookmans, P-O-O-K-M-A-N. And I remember him saying to me, I was about six years old, and he leaned over. He said, did you take a piece of gum? And you know, I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I've been busted. <laughs> <laughs> Taught you a lesson, though, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Don't don't steal from the Pookmans because they're watching. <laughs> Go find somebody else to steal from. In our neighborhood, when we were growing up. You couldn't get away with anything because all the mothers they all knew each other. You know, it was everybody was very connected in our neighborhood, and uh, they would call. You know, saw Kenny over on Seventy Fifth and Pulaski. Is he supposed to be way over there by the airport? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. Thanks though. Mrs. Johnson. We just put a GPS tracker on the kids. Put a chip under skin while they're still young and they don't know what it is. (laughs) You got to change the battery every 10 years, so then you got to cut the little things open. I'm afraid we're not very far from that, Doc, tell you the truth. uh, We're not far from it. So uh, going on with this critical race theory, so standpoint epistemology is the view that members of a minority that they have an authority and ability to speak about racism that the rest of us don't because we haven't experienced it. And like I was saying with Reg, you know, he, he was, I was talking about Obama and some of his policies and why he didn't address in a more general sense, the racial divide in the United States. And he said, you got to remember every day he woke up and every day of his life, he was a black man in in, in, uh, a white society. So he was considered inferior. I said, yeah, I understand that Reg. I get that. But when you become president, you're supposed to rise above that. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Reggie would would say things to me or he'll say things to me like, well, look, uh, there's now reverse discrimination being experienced by white Americans. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because now they know how it feels. And I understand that. You know, I understand that. But I think at the same time, we have to be realistic and say you can't get a right from two wrongs. It, it just won't work, and you're going to have a you're going to have a, a backlash. And so the legal thought in this country has been that has been based on what Locke and and different people wrote back in the Age of Enlightenment, back in the 17th and 18th century, and that evolved into our Declaration of Independence and and our, our the way we constructed our Constitution along with English law, and the idea that because it was uh, formulated by white men, white Europeans, and that white men wrote the Constitution of the United States and wrote the uh, Declaration of Independence, that that it's inherently flawed because it doesn't take into account the uh, the experiences and the 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 uh, prejudices that black people have experienced, people of color. Now, I understand that. I understand how they feel or why they feel that way, but I don't think that this is the answer. I don't think that it's going to uh, solve the problem because then you, you say, well, what do you want? Do you want uh, 
to go back to separate but equal? Do you want your own dorms at college and not have any white kids in there and not have any black kids in the in the white dorms unless they want to go in there? You, you know, it starts getting into that whole uh, goes right back to segregation. Yeah, it goes back to a segregationist kind of feeling. And and uh, and but they're saying, well, we want more than that. We want reparations. We we think that we have been uh, uh, treated unfairly and, and that white privilege, which you own, but uh, but I don't, you, you know, you have white skin, you own that and I can only rent it. I can't get equity under the law because I'm not white. That, uh, that that is going to be extremely divisive. And, and rather than fight incrementally for rights, as everybody has over the eons, you know, whether it's uh, the serfs in, in Europe or uh, the slaves in the United States or women in an all-male uh, political hierarchy, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, that humans have to face. You got to fight your way up. You got to, I mean, you have to have a little conflict with your parents to get you out of the house, you know? Yeah, it, it takes time. Everything takes time. And the the idea that... that but I'm not wh- responsible for it. it the, the idea that whites can be empathetic uh, with blacks is a fallacy in, in the critical race theory, that you can't because you haven't lived it and you don't know what it is. So you have to walk a mile in my shoes or uh, you have to be have my skin on you for a long enough time. Uh, the more radical views, of course, leads to the argument for separation and reparations as a form of foreign aid and black nationalism. So we've already heard this. We've heard this off and on for for decades. And, uh, you know, that's what the Black Panthers wanted back when I was a kid. They wanted a separate black nation. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been going on as long as I've been around. Yeah. As long as I can remember. And so there's this feeling in, in this movement that whiteness is property that that we inherit and that we should not be able to inherit that. Well, you know, this is all being re- solved anyway, because racial intermarriage is becoming increasingly common. Uh, but uh, the idea that if your mom's black and your dad's white, you're, you're black is part of this whole critical race theory because your skin's darker. And so you're going to be treated differently. And my, my nephew, my grandnephew, Mario, he, he, he's, uh, he's in this now and his mom's Ethiopian and his dad's, uh, Irish American, uh, my nephew, Jake and, uh, talented kid. Oh my gosh, this kid can pick up a a reed instrument and play it like nobody's business. He's going to end up at Juilliard, I'm sure, and and uh, make a name for himself if he doesn't get sidetracked by all of the this politics. But you know, the mother and the grandmother, my sister, they're all beating on him. You know, well, you're black and you and yeah, and it's uh, you know, white men are evil and they're going to take advantage of you and all that. And so he says, Uncle Billy, I'm black, and I'm thinking, well, what's your dad? <laughs> Is he? Which which half is your dad then, or is, is there none of him in you? And uh, but you know you he's a teenager. You're not going to win that argument, right? But but I still think that we have to present it to the kids. And I'm glad to see that a number of states have enacted legislation prohibiting the teaching of this in, in their public schools. Uh, I think that it would be disastrous, and it would be uh, an attempt to. I indirectly shame 
white people for being white. Well, dude, you don't pick your your parents. I mean, they're 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 sort of uh, there before you are, <laughs> and uh, so institutionalized racism as differential access to goods, services, and opportunities of society by race, et cetera. I mean, these are all great arguments, but like I tell Reg, I said, Reg, you're making more money than I am. He's an anesthesiologist. He does better than I do. So what opportunities don't you have in society? You got as nice a house as me. Uh, you got uh, kids that are going to the finest schools. Uh, you're, you're driving a nice car. You're making more money than me. What opportunities and goods and services are you being denied because you're black or you have black blood in you and your skin's darker than mine and your face is broader or whatever? You know what I'm saying? And now they're carrying this into the uh, Asian communities. Oh, my God. I can't let my wife hear any of this. <laughs> I'll be out of the house. I'll be sleeping in the garage. <laughs> Well, let me, put, let me take this in a little different direction. If you, okay. if you don't agree, if you don't want to see this taught in the schools, which is what we're talking about, basically, right? Right. That what you need to do is to pay attention to those local races that people tend to ignore, and only 17% of the voters come out to vote for. It's those local elections that decide things like this. When you put a school board member on the board, you have to know what they believe in. If they'll tell the truth. If they'll tell the truth. Well, what's <laughs> always complicated by the truth, isn't it? Yeah. What What is it with truth? I don't what? know. It keeps nope. getting in the way. <laughs> what is the truth anymore sometimes? But anyway, look, those local elections for school boards are very important if you are. Um, and I think that's one of the great things about the Trump uh, uh, tax reform is that it took away all of the deductions for those fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar uh, state and uh, uh, local taxes that Northeasterners were, were were able to write off, and now all of a sudden they they can only write off ten thousand dollars of that, and so they're saying, wait a minute, either I got to move or I got to get involved because fifty thousand dollars of my money is going to something and I don't know what. So I think that's one of the great things is it's going to force people to get involved, and it's it's actually going to level out the real estate market across the country. It'll take some time, but we're already seeing it. We're seeing that the housing prices in Florida escalate rapidly while they uh, stay steady or decrease a little bit in New York City and uh, Long Island. I don't know how the real estate's doing up there, but uh, I think that, that it's it's a good thing. It levels out the playing field, and it'll do it for black and white and red and yellow Americans, everybody. So some of the scholars of critical race theory have focused on uh, issues like hate crime and hate speech. And so they criticized the Supreme Court case uh, of RAV versus the city of St. Paul, in which the court struck down uh, an anti-bias ordinance as applied to a teenager who had burnt a cross. And uh, the, the movement says, well, you know, really, that hate speech should be disallowed, that the Constitution needs to be rewritten. So we're down to the First Amendment now, and the First Amendment says that you have the right to express your opinion as long as you don't incite a riot or uh, harm somebody else. And so the uh, the movement here, the critical race theory movement says, well, no, that's not correct because that's white men's laws saying that white men can say what they want. Well, this was a teenager, but that's all right. And he didn't say anything. He just burn a crucifix or burn a cross. Um, 
and I understand that 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 has or had a lot of symbolic uh, significance for black Americans because that's what the Ku Klux Klan did. They burned crosses. I guess it was a symbol of purification and also to scare. And, you know, there have been uh, murders of blacks that are, and mass murders that have been uh, uh, morally reprehensible and, and illegal, but never, no, nothing was ever done about it to speak of. And so I understand that. I get that. And maybe that we need to address some of these past sins and somehow rectify them. But we have to do it specifically on a case-by-case basis, Ken. We can't just shotgun the whole thing and say, well, because there was a riot in Jacksonville in 1910 and, uh, you know, 30 or 40 black people were killed and their families were never uh, never received any reparations for that loss, then, then maybe we should go back and look at that and say, okay, let's see what we can do to make that right now. But to say that all black people have been oppressed because or have been uh, murdered and deserve reparations for having been murdered because a few were murdered does not, to me, make any sense. So I don't have a problem with addressing case-by-case basis, but I don't want to see um, an across-the-board. I think that that's one of the fallacies of critical race theory is that it says this is applicable to everybody and everything everywhere. And the law doesn't work like that. And their argument is, well, it's a white man's law. You guys wrote it. And we don't agree with the law. And we want to change it. And you can. I mean, you can change the Constitution. You can propose an amendment. You can uh, change your state laws and statutes. But the majority are going to have to agree with you. And if they don't agree with you, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, roll up your, your sleeping bag and, you know, fold right. up your... Use the process. The process is there. And the, and the thing is, Ken, is trying to reinvent every process. It just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's, uh, it's a, a waste of time and effort and energy. And, and you know, th- this is also, to me, this approach is kind of like Montessori, like, well, these are my feelings and this is what I want to pursue in the classroom. Okay, uh, so you don't want to do math, and, and then a lot of kids don't. Well, how are you going to keep your checkbook, or how are you going to know how much change you do back when you go to the store? Well, maybe you don't need that in the future with, with digital currency and cryptocurrency and charge cards and all that. But, you know, my wife, I mean, she looks at every, every receipt, and she, and she says, hey, we didn't get this. Take this off the bill. You know, I'm like, it's $5. I could care less. But she's she's on it. And I think for people who are on a budget, they're going to have to stop and think about what they need to do and how they need to get there in order to manage their lives. And you're going to need some of these objective courses and reasonings and and, and legal uh, avenues that, that we have had in place for centuries now that seem to work pretty well, pretty well. They're not 100%, Ken. Nothing is. Nothing well, is. Well, we're not perfect. We can't, we, 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 you know, that's the beautiful thing about the Constitution. Is it can be, it evolves. Yeah, and you can, you can amend it if you, exactly. You can amend it. Uh, but to say that because somebody uh, uh, was allowed to say something racially charged uh, and that that shouldn't be allowed, I mean, thank I, you I'm, for listening to Dr. Bill, your radio MD. I'm gone by. <laughs> no, no, no. You got you got another minute yet. 
<laughs> well, you got Dr. Bill Radio MD coming No, no, up. no. I pressed the wrong button. Oh, my God. We're <laughs> back to Buttonology 101. <laughs> You're still good. Here. You're He's still on there, Doc. You got another, oh, I don't know, 35 seconds. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun today. <laughs> Until I just messed up the buttons. <laughs>